We have put away our fancy shoes, uh, our play shoes. We have put away our door and bench. Uh, we have, have completed our, our previous sermon series, and now we're starting a new sermon series that's going to be for the whole summer. And it's based, the themes of it are based on off of this book called Forgive by the late Dr., uh, Reverend Dr. Timothy Keller. And so if you are interested, we encourage you to get a copy of this book and follow along. Uh, we're going to be covering each of the, the chapters. will be a different theme each week this summer as we dig in and mind the wellspring of what forgiveness is and why we need it. The actual title of the book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Um, this may seem like a little thing to you. you if, if you're a Christian, if you grew up in the church, we are what is, has been labeled forgiveness culture. Uh, not understanding that forgiveness is much deeper for that. Jesus made a big, big deal about forgiveness. So much so that the entire New Testament or the new covenant that's established through Jesus is entirely based on forgiveness through him. God makes a big deal about forgiveness. But in our culture today, it seems like forgiveness has gotten a bad rap. Uh, Almost like forgiveness is immoral. Uh, Forgiveness is not something that should even be thought of entering into until enough enough, um, atonement has taken place, considering we're talking about being in atonement. Uh, So, why is forgiveness important? Is it an important thing? Is it necessary? Today, we're going to talk about no future without forgiveness. As I mentioned, in our modern culture in the United States, there's a conflict over forgiveness. You don't have to go far to see how polarizing things have gotten. We don't seem to be able to let little things go anymore. If someone disagrees with you, It's not just that they disagree with you, it's that they are now your enemy. Or if you disagree with someone, maybe you feel like you're being treated like an enemy. That's how far away from forgiveness of little things that we have come, to say nothing of big things. But forgiveness is essential to who we are It is essential to life on earth. If there is no forgiveness, all you have is vengeance that will continue on and on and on. No matter how much much atonement is made, how much effort is made, how many apologies are given. A good example of what I'm talking about is the ministry of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. That's who this is. And uh, maybe you don't know who he is. He passed away in 2021. He's South African. And he was really the spiritual um, force or the spiritual representative behind Nelson Mandela and the movement within South Africa to overturn the system called apartheid. Apartheid was the segregation system where the white minority were Uh, in control of all of the levers of power and the black majority in South Africa um, were were segregated to a second class of citizen 
or less than the white South Africans. And there were all kinds of atrocities that took place under this system where uh, millions of black Africans uh, had regress, redress for the wrongs that were done to them. And so when uh, apartheid was overturned, a lot because of the effort and the, the ministry and the marches and the efforts, the peaceful efforts that were brought forward by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the world thought through the United Nations or through some other body, we needed to have some form of Nuremberg trials to punish the wrongs that were done. Now that the black majority was really in the majority, uh, the white minority was powerless for any repercussions that could come. So why shouldn't, why shouldn't there be some type of Nuremberg trial like there was for the Nazis after World War II? Desmond Tutu argued against this and laid out a different system of justice that was known as reconciliation and truth, or truth and forgiveness, where those who had uh, carried out wrongdoing against uh, the black majority under apartheid were to confess publicly and to receive forgiveness and reconciliation over and against any other um, uh, jail sentences or things like that that took place under the Nuremberg tra uh, trials or being put to, to death. And you might think, why would uh, that be so important to moving forward in South Africa? Please turn, turn this up a little bit, whoever's controlling the sound. I'm going to share with you a bite uh, a little clip from Archbishop Desmond Tutu where he talks about the truth and reconciliation movement. It's quite clear that forgiveness, reconciliation are not namby-pamby things. Reconciliation is not for sissies. Uh, it's, it's, it is a tough thing. And yet we will, we will, we will disappear into oblivion if the only thing we think of is getting our own back, as they say, an eye for an eye will leave most of the world blind. I love what he said about reconciliation. Reconciliation is not for sissies. Uh, forgiveness is, a, is an important part of reconciliation. It, it includes both justice and forgiveness. Now, this idea is not easy. It is hard to forgive, especially when you've been wronged, especially when it would be so easy to get a pound of flesh out of someone, to demand atonement. Um, what has happened, though, is that atonement and forgiveness have been separated in the current zeitgeist in our culture. More and more people are demanding um, an ongoing, continuous atonement for wrongs done with no forgiveness for what has been carried out. And what you get with that is not reconciliation, but you get a continued, ongoing vengeance. Um, when Desmond Tutu died, Timothy Keller wrote this on Twitter. Many argue forgiveness culture 
That's another way of speaking about Christianity's influence on Western society, as if we're just a culture. Uh, forgiveness culture helps abusers escape accountability. Is that true? Desmond Tutu argued that without forgiveness, abusers hold us in thrall. You never move beyond the abuse. That it was possible to pursue both forgiveness and justice at once. He rejected the Nuremberg trial model for truth and reconciliation. Now, I share this with you, and you might think, yeah, that makes sense. But I want you to know that when Timothy Keller sent out this tweet, as they call it, he got a lot of pushback for it. A lot of people were really angry with this idea about forgiveness, almost as if, well, not almost, as if forgiveness is immoral. I'm going to say that again because it's affecting our culture. It has for the last 10 years about that forgiveness is immoral. There's this idea that forgiveness is antithetical to justice. That you cannot have justice and forgiveness. You have to choose one or the other. This is what is the fading of forgiveness. I would say it's really ramped up in the last 10 years. But I think in my own lifetime, I can see this and experience this looking back to about 2001. This idea of forgiveness being removed as part of how we how we live together as people in a society. And it's increased in a litigious society that the law needs to be used to its fullest in order to punish. There is no forgiveness, just vengeance. One person who reflects this microcosm, and what I'm going to share with you are a couple of quotes from people that are not the end-all, be-all, but give a microcosm, a picture of what I'm talking about in our culture over the last 10 years. The first one comes from Elizabeth Brunig. Elizabeth Brunig, at the time of this quote, uh, was a writer for the New York Times. She wrote, she was an opinion writer who wrote on things like culture and uh, religion and, um, and things of this nature. And she wrote in a tweet, there's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. She was writing in response to what has been happening on social media in our culture. You, anyone in here use social media? Do you like to have a disagreement with anyone on social media? Oh, we got some brave souls here. I think it's, it, we've discovered how toxic social media has become because there is no forgiveness. It goes from maybe a small disagreement to you're dead to me and, and, and encouraging others to shun and attack. This is known as cancel culture. So cancel culture is in, in comparison to forgiveness culture. You can't have both. Now, what's interesting about this quote, this comes, uh, she wrote this on Twitter. She got a bunch of people mad at her. So what did she do? She deleted the tweet, thus proving her point. 
environment that demands constant atonement but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. How dare you say something like that? Take that down. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't care if you're sorry. You're done. Cancel culture is the practice of engaging in mass canceling in order to express disapproval and exert social pressure. Uh, we live in the United States where we have the freedom to assemble and you're certainly free to boycott things that you don't want. The point that I'm making here is because of social media, uh, no longer is it just shunning in a small group, but we now can shun people and cancel them on a mass scale. And that this actually is toxic to our culture in order to stand together. We become more and more polarized. And I think we could all agree that our culture is very polarized. Um, you're, better, you're better suited turning off your TV, turning off your computer, and opening your Bible. You'll be happier. Um, social media, where foolish words are not forgetten, forgiven and can be circulated online forever. We now teach in our schools to kids, be careful what you put on online because it's there forever. And people will go back and attack you for something you may have said 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, uh, uh, perish the thought you ever change your opinion. But again, this speaks to a lack of forgiveness in our culture. But constant atonement for wrongs done. Have you ever watched old TV shows? There are movies that can't be played today because it will offend somebody even though they made perfect sense in their time. Have you heard about books being canceled and removed, even though Huckleberry Finn was perfectly appropriate to tell the times in which it was written by Mark Twain? It's too offensive today. We have, rather than lifted people up equally, we have gotten into the habit of seeking grievance and justice for perceived grievances without forgiveness. I'm going to give you an example of two movements that this is not disparaging the movements, but it's speaking to movements that seek justice without reconciliation. The first one became known as uh, the hashtag the Me Too movement. And we heard about all the things happening in Hollywood, all the horrible things that, that was happening to women by men. And the outrage of it just hit a boiling point. And this valid question is asked, doesn't forgiving abusers only encourage abuse? As Christians, as those who are part of the forgiveness culture, we need to be able to answer this. Because it is a valid question. Is forgiveness used as an excuse for abusers to continue to abuse? Or can there be both forgiveness and justice at the same time? I would argue there can. But we've seen the cancellation of all kinds of people and, and justice being done. But if there is no forgiveness, then all that's left is vengeance that will burn you to the core. Because there's never letting go of the wrong that's been done. There's only punishment. Another good example would be um, the modern civil rights movement known as Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter was started... Um, on social media, I believe, originally, 
After the 2014 deaths of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and Eric Garner in New York City, New York, a new movement for racial justice emerged at that time. Now, it really got going after the death of George Floyd. Now, what was the common cause for all of these deaths? It was unarmed black men that were killed by police officers. Now, justified or unjustified is irrelevant because you're dealing with a pattern where a group of people feel that there's consistent abuse of power by those who are placed in power. And this should worry all of us in a free society that those who are given power to restrain, to arrest, are not abusing that power. That those who are elected into positions of authority do not abuse that authority. This isn't just a, a Black Lives Matter issue. This is, this is everyone. The problem with the movement is that it pushed at the time, I can't speak for it now, but at the time pushed for um, justice without forgiveness. Uh, one of the writer, uh, a writer at that time, uh, Dr. Uh, Stacy Patton, wrote in the Washington Post an article about um, uh, uh, black lives should not forgive white racists. It was in response to the shooting that took place of nine individuals at an African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina. Um, after the shooting was, was carried out by a, a white person against black Christians, the family members of the nine victims forgave the shooter. This article, this statement is in response to that. That forgiveness is immoral. What needs to happen is justice. When black forgiveness is the means for white atonement, it enables white denial about the harms that racist violence creates. Our constant forgiveness perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. A counterpoint was written by the Reverend Dr. Barbara Reynolds, who was a civil rights activist in the 1960s who marched with Dr. King. Now, if you remember what the message out of the civil rights movement where progress was made since the 1960s till today is that um, we should judge a person not on the color of their skin but on the content of their character. The modern movement, because it does not lift up and have the values of love, equality, and reconciliation through forgiveness as a part of it, does not judge people according to the content of their character, but everything is based on power structures and on uh, the outward appearance of someone, the color of their skin. She, in her uh, letter, wrote, I'm a 1960s um, uh, civil rights activist, and I don't agree, while I agree with the, the intent for racial equality, I don't agree with the means. She said, Church and spirituality are not high priorities for Black Lives Matter. And the ethics of love, forgiveness, and reconciliation that empower black leaders such as Dr. King and Nelson Mandela in their successful quest to win over their oppressors are missing from this movement. So, forgiveness with justice or forgiveness versus justice. 
The, co- the modern movement says that you have to choose one over the other. But is that true? I would argue that there is an indelible need for forgiveness. That if forgiveness is not given, we cannot move beyond the hurt that was done no matter of how much atonement is, is, is paid out by those who have done the wronging. That forgiveness is essential for the individual, even regardless of the one who needs to do atonement. That justice and forgiveness can be pursued at the same time, and they cannot be separated from each other, because without both, you do not have reconciliation and moving forward as a society and individually in your own relationships. Think about your own relationships. If someone has wronged you, and you are unable to forgive them because you're just so mad justifiably mad and what you need, what you desire, what you want is justice. What, without forgiveness, what you're really wanting is vengeance. And I'm not saying that it's not earned or justified. If you've been horribly wronged by someone, it's incredibly hard to forgive. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. Forgiveness is a, is a, is a movement in itself and it takes time. Um, But it's indelible. What is indelible? Indelible means it's impossible to remove, erase, or eliminate. The fact that you are here today speaks to the indelible need for forgiveness. Because Christians know we don't come to church, we don't gather here unless we recognize that we're sinners in need of forgiveness. The New Testament, as I mentioned, is all about forgiveness. It's why it was established by God that I would forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice for sinners because we have a much deeper problem than outward wrongs. We have a problem that goes all the way down to our core being. And that is that we have a necessary need for forgiveness from God, forgiveness with ourselves, and forgiveness to our neighbor. The the currency of the kingdom of God that turns everything on its head, that turns an upside-down world right-side up, that turns vengeance into justice, is the power and flow and use of forgiveness. It's indelible. It's absolutely necessary for our being. Without it, it's just as Dr. Um, uh, It's just as Archbishop Desmond Tutu says, it will burn up. It will be an eye for an eye. We'll all be blind and we'll destroy ourselves. In our scripture, Jesus says these words, and this happens early in his ministry. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, one thing I want to share with you, a little bit of homework Read Mark 2, 1 through 12 again. Whose house are these people ripping open? Whose roof are they tearing open? Look closely at the scripture. Whose house is it? You might be surprised. Now, what's happening is there's these four friends and they have a friend who's paralyzed. And so they're pulling him on a mat and they can't get close enough to Jesus, but they're desperate 
and they have faith that Jesus can heal them, can help them. And so they are bringing him on the mat, and they can't get near Jesus. Jesus is in this house, a house that he seems to like. He's at this house a lot. That's a little hint for you. And they go up on the roof, and they begin tearing open the thatching on the roof in order to, to uh, uh, get this, this paralytic close enough to Jesus that Jesus can touch him and heal him. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is a very controversial phrase. This is one of the reasons Jesus gets crucified. You read the rest of the story as Pastor Becky read for us today, you'll hear why. But forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is why we come to church every Sunday because we recognize that we're sinners and we need to receive forgiveness. And forgiveness in church comes because Jesus promises to be present in, with, and under this assembly through the word preached and the sacraments administered for the forgiveness of sins. So in the message, in the songs, in the prayers, in something that we call the absolution, you will have your sins forgiven. And so just as Jesus forgives this man, I announce to you on Jesus' behalf, because this is what he says to do, I announce to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in Jesus' name. There it is. It's not a fickle thing, it's everything. But imagine being this paralytic man. He's lowered down. He can't walk. Jesus sees him. He's hoping that Jesus will heal him. Like he's heard Jesus heal tons of people. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. I'm sure he was like, well, thank you, but can you do something about this? Hello? I imagine the man was thinking, if I could just be like everybody else, if I was just equal to everybody else, if I could just walk, I would be happy. I would be content. Everything would make sense. And I'd never have any problems again. And I think Jesus' response to the man is, no, you still would. Look around at all these people. They can all walk. Do they look happy to you? Jesus then speaks up and he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the power, the authority, the will, and the ability to forgive sins and to forgive sinners. Which is easier, to say, stand up and walk, or to say, I forgive you of your sins, but so that you may know that I have the power, the authority, the ability to forgive sins and sinners, I say to you, stand up and walk. And the man stood up and walked, and they were amazed. Just a few moments ago, I forgave you of all of your sins. Not in my name, but in Jesus' name. Because that is what Jesus calls us to do. Because he knows that we have a deeper problem than just the outward injustices of life. We have a down-to-the-core, down-to-the-soul problem. 
That is where we are truly broken. And it's only through Jesus that forgiveness from God can come to us that gives us not just new life now, but eternal life to come. You want true joy? You want true peace? You want true happiness? You want true justice? You want reconciliation? You want peace in your heart and in your life? The door is forgiveness. Jesus is the door, as he says, through which we must all walk into not only eternal life, but into the treasure trove, which is forgiveness. This summer, we are going to dive deep into that treasure trove. We are going to walk through and discover forgiveness together. Let's walk through together. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. He is the door by which we receive new life, where we are washed clean, where forgiveness and justice meet, and we are transformed. Pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and a heart that is softened by the plight of our neighbor and by the hurts that we have, that we may discover how to forgive. It may not mean forgetting, but how to forgive and how to move into true freedom in Christ where we don't let the hurts that we have or the people that have hurt us uh, live freely in our heads, but that they are exercised like ghosts and that we are made truly free in Jesus' name. We are forgiven. We are forgiven indeed in him. Amen.